This podcast is a production of Bread on the Water Media and RadioForThePeople.com and is engineered by Audio Diner Studios. Our theme music is provided to us by our dear friend Gordon Bonham, whose music can be purchased through GordonBonham.com. Our graphics for this podcast are provided by Kathy Piercy Frine. The podcast is sponsored by Artisan Realtors and Silicon Prairie Ventures. This podcast is intended to give people a glimpse at what it's like to get a bad diagnosis, whether it's cancer or something else, and then go through a traumatic experience. First, we will discuss how my cancer story affected me and my family. Then we will talk about how their experiences affect other patients and their families, including discussions around why you need to advocate for yourself or for your family member. As we explore other patients' experiences, we will talk to some professionals about how to move forward after a traumatic, or not, medical event. I expect this to be a discussion that changes over time to reflect these combined experiences that I and others have had, and what our journeys are like, and the inevitable twists and turns that go along with real-world experiences. Join us on this ride as we attempt to show joy and laughter as well as the tragedy. Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of Normal, What's That Like? Before we get started today, I'd like to thank a couple of people. First of all, I'd like to thank the artist who did the podcast art, which is Kathy Piercy Fran, and Gordon Bonham, who did our music in the intro and the exit of the podcast. I also need to thank our sponsors, Silicon Prairie Ventures and Artisan Realtors. So with that said, um, just a quick reminder what the podcast is about, if this is the first episode you've listened to. Um, We're trying to talk about Uh, my experience initially with a uh, a traumatic uh, medical experience that I went through, which in my case was cancer. And, um, but we're going to be talking as we go down the road to other people and to health professionals, etc. But today we're focusing on my family, particularly my wife um, and her experience with what I went through or what we, I say I, we all went through it and we all had different experiences. And that's what we're gonna hear today is you've heard my experience probably, but today we're gonna hear a little bit about um, my wife, Georgianne's experience. And with that, I guess I need to introduce my wife, Georgianne Adams, and let her uh, tell us a little bit about who she is and where she was before all this happened. Well, hello, Dan. When I started thinking about um, doing this for you, um, I thought back at almost exactly 40 years ago when we met. Um, we were very young, and um, it was the, the weekend after um, uh, January 1 in 1984. And so we've been together a long time. Um, I have been a nurse that whole time. I worked in neurocritical care for a very long time um, and then progressed to doing several other things. I was a a nurse educator and then um, went back to school and became a a clinical nurse specialist. 
the reason why I really talk about that is that really is significant to this experience because um, a nurse, especially working with critical patients all the time, knows sick. And um, I remember telling people, Dan's really sick. <laughs> and, and when a, a, a critical care nurse says really sick, it's different than somebody else who says really sick. I mean, when I say really sick, I think you could die anytime. And so that's really what we were experiencing, especially in the last um, hospitalization. Um, we, uh, we started th this all out and when you were first, um, not feeling well, we really thought it was a kidney stone and I was fine with that. You went to the doctor by yourself. Uh, how we've always treated our lives. We're very independent people. We both have our professions and, um, are, are very kind of codependent. We don't do a lot of things socially without each other. But um, our work lives were very different. You know, I never would have thought about going to a doctor's appointment with you. So that first time um, you came back and you were so upset that the doctor wasn't even going to touch you <laughs> and, and just um, not really listen to you. They already thought, well, he had a viral illness, blah, 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 blah. And so then when we went to that first emergency room visit, um, I, I've been at Methodist Hospital for almost that 48, 40 years. So, you know, it's about 38 years. And um, it just happened that the resident that um, came and saw you was being supervised by the medical director of the, um, the emergency room, and I knew him. So the first thing I should have really thought about was when I drove home after you were admitted he called me what in the world did he call me for I was like I'm not sure I knew that um and and I <laughs> he said we're gonna figure it out your lab work just looked weird it was weird um it wasn't anything um routine so that was that's that's kind of starts the new normal <laughs> of what um we went through you know, you um, were in the hospital probably the, the first two times um, where you were just home like a day and a half, maybe a weekend um, in between those hospitalizations, and it, it changed. Life changed after that. The first two hospitalizations, I did not stay with you. Um, I have always been a proponent that um, you're in the hospital to get hospital care and I w was not one of those people that thought I needed to be there 24 7 well the third time <laughs> that's a little different <laughs> we uh I, I stayed all the time but so our new normal was now you had had taken care of a lot of um the financial parts of our marriage um we had uh, pretty probably um uh, routine or uh, traditional roles. Um, we shared roles. We didn't, you know, I'll take the garbage out and, I'll, and, and you'll cook, um, but pretty traditional. So those things really, really changed, <laughs> especially the financial stuff, because back when we were living together before we got married, 
um, I had done all the um, business, uh, paying all the bills, and uh, you were like, no, don't pay that, pay this, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, okay, if I'm not doing it right, you can have it. So <laughs> so you've had it the rest of your life. And um, so, so those things really changed. The other thing that was very significant is I had a 95-year-old mother who um, stayed with us uh, essentially one week a month. My sister had her the other three, but we tried to give her a little bit of respite. She was very, um, she was at the end of her life. And so that first week in January, we had mother with us too. And so um, it was weird. <laughs> you know, I'm taking care of mother. I'm, you're on the couch rolling around, not feeling good. <laughs> and um making noise and uh, i'm very lucky to have sisters who kind of took over and helped with that um what what other things were you you talked about the new normal uh what what other things were were significantly different i mean we're uh, we've always been pretty self-sufficient did that did that change in some way yes it did which is the first time. So we are entering a new season in our life. Um, we're getting very close to retirement. Um, I had gone part-time at the beginning uh, in, uh, um, in the fall, uh, right before you got sick. So we were thinking we were gonna be grandparents and take care of kids and be able to travel more and do all these fun things. And um, then we end up in the hospital. And two of our daughters were there almost all the time the other one kind of took care of the dog and stuff at home but um it's weird it's so weird because you know we've always taken care of everybody i've taken care of my mother we took care of the kids we take care of the grandkids and um now all of a sudden people are acting like they should take care of us which was hard enough for you being a patient but me as a as a nurse sitting at the bedside to have two daughters come in and tell me what I should and shouldn't do was a little bit, <laughs> a little bit strange. Um, so, so it, it, it really is rolling us into this next season in our life. The other thing, um, like I said, you were so sick that you cognitively were not there a lot of the time. And, um, one of the hardest things, um, for me listening to your podcast was you didn't get it right <laughs> not that imagine I, that not that i've ever been able to say that to you which uh, this this comes up because um we had a couple of friends who said no you guys should really act like you usually act which <laughs> we which, don't banter at all <laughs> which um we had a very good friend who um he's remarried now and his, when he first introduced us to his new um, girlfriend that he was, now his wife, um, was dating, uh, he said, now, Dan and Georgianne, you might think they're fighting, but that's just <laughs> the way they are. And so, it, you know, that's what we do. So this was weird. This was different. You were in the hospital, and I didn't really feel like I could, especially because people are watching you all the time, um, could like we it was different i was not challenging you the same way i've always challenged and did, you and did that 
create any issues along the way, the fact that you weren't challenging me? Well, a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the two biggest times were after your second hospitalization. You know, you talk about, and a lot of people say, well, weren't you so mad that they didn't diagnose you faster? Well, I live in the hospital world. It was not um, out of the ordinary. Your lab values, your tests, none of them were normal, normal, um, as as you put that. And um, so they were searching. They told not, us they were searching. Right. Not to mention that the form of cancer I had was a very rare presentation. No right. tumors, right. all that kind of the stuff. The lymph nodes. Yeah. No, um, no swelling of lymph nodes was huge. And so the second hospitalization, which I think you talked about, you were in a locked ward, which, um, you know, for... Not on purpose. <laughs> with, because the hospital, and the hospital is very, very full right now. You know, it's flu season, COVID was still going on, and RSV. So you have all those respiratory illnesses. We were stuck in the emergency room, and um, we needed a bed. So they put us on the med surge psych floor, which is locked, and, you know, you have to sign in, sign out, do all these things, um, you hated it. So I did get you I did get you off the floor. I thought you should be happy. You still weren't happy. <laughs> I and, was in the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> and you wanted out of the hospital. Well, the um, nurse, no, she was a PA Kate, that was working with the oncologist or the hem hematology oncology. We still didn't know you had cancer. We didn't really think you had cancer. They kept telling us they didn't think you had cancer. Um, she, uh, you were like, I'm going home. And I was like, Dan, she's telling you, if you just wait one more day, you'll be able to get the, um, bone marrow, um, biopsy. And you were like, I don't care. I'm going to do this. Um, I'm going to, I can do it outpatient. So then I got you home and you, um, uh, and we tried to schedule the bone um, marrow uh, biopsy and it was going to be I think three weeks so we you were still sick you were still friggin as sick as you were but you were I had you home now and um, so I had to call in a friend once again I said I was in I've been in this hospital system a long time I don't know that all the bedside people anymore but I still know a lot of the administration so I called the, <laughs> the head of um uh, radiology, and I said, I guess I can say his name. I said, Todd, is this normal? Does it take a bone marrow um, biopsy three weeks when somebody's this ill? He said, Yeah, that's kind of normal, Georgian, but I'll see what I can do. And so we got you in, um, I think, that next week. <laughs> Dan says four days. But Anyway, so that was um, also very interesting. It, it's nice to have coworkers that you can depend on, but you also don't want to be that person either. Were there other, uh, other issues like that? Not only that I didn't remember, but that I, where I wasn't as cooperative maybe or wasn't uh, willing to accept the, the sound medical advice I was given. <laughs> Well, this kind of goes into how it's hard to be a wife and a nurse at the same time. There were things that needed to be done that you should be doing, um, that I knew you should be doing, 
and you didn't want to do them. <laughs> and, and then the other, you know, the other thing was you were so hell-bent about that NG tube, which you even said, and I talked to just uh, one of the girls about this, and um, I said, well, you know, on his podcast, he talked about it was the happiest day in his life getting that NG tube out. But he also said he looked like a Holocaust survivor. So, you know, you wouldn't eat. We tried everything to get you to eat. The only way you were going to get out of the hospital, which was what you wanted, um, was to get this tube. And then you were non-compliant with the tube. And so it was very, very, very hard on me both ways for you to be, I mean, you really dug your heels in on this stupid tube and not getting your food. But um, so that, that, was, that was pretty hard. And, and then also very routine critical care things, people that uh, have lost the amount of weight you've lost and how sick you are, um, you know, you should be turning, you should be eating, you should be um, doing deep breathing, you should, I should have been turning you. I didn't do all those things. So, so and, what you're saying is, I wasn't the uh, ideal patient. Well, and, and the other hard, the hard thing is that the nurses that really were encouraging you and making you do the things are not the nurses you really liked <laughs> a lot of the time. Now, not all the time, um, but, you know, you really disliked a couple nurses that um, were doing things that you were supposed to be doing and that were really not taking your crap and saying, <laughs> saying, no, I don't want to do that. And so um, that was a little hard for me because also the girls didn't like those nurses <laughs> either. <laughs> so <laughs> that was a little bit hard for me. Um, and then the continuity of care in nursing staff and the, the um, different medical teams. We had multiple medical teams. Um, as a nurse, you know, they don't always communicate. But as a patient, it's super, super hard um, to have those things happen. Um, family, uh, how, uh, we've talked a little bit about the girls, and the girls are going to be on the podcast at some point soon. But uh, we've talked a, bit, a little bit about them, and I'm going to ask you to talk a little bit more about that. But also, family, friends, and visitors. What, what, how did that work? Um, I, I think we had some different feelings on some of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, um, like I said, two of the girls were there with me pretty much all the time. That third hospitalization, I would spend the night so I could hear the things in the morning, hear the doctors, then I'd come home for an hour or two. Abby would take the evening shift. Um, Jessica and um, Maggie would be there pretty much all the other times. Um, they all tried to work. We all tried to work at the bedside the first two ho hospitalizations. Um, and they weren't there so much the first two hospitalizations, but the third one, um, they were there pretty much all the time. And so we um, had our little setup, and, and they were pretty good. Um, visitors was, is, <laughs> you know, I've always, as a critical care nurse, you know, it's hard to have visitors. It's hard to have multiple visitors there. Um, as, a, as a family member, it's hard when people would just show up. It was hard to have people take you out in the hall and ask you questions. And to see you in the state you were in was really, really hard. You, um, 
you pretty much glossed over the fact that you your cancer was in your liver and your spine. People that have liver cancer that I have seen, now I worked in neurocritical care, so I saw trauma and spinal cord and head injuries a lot more. Didn't see uh, cancer patients, but people that are bright pumpkin, orange, yellow, don't get better a lot at the time. And I do remember um, one time uh, talking to my manager, my boss, and um, I was just talking about how jaundiced you were and how sick you were. And and um, and he said, yeah, it's hard because you know what's probably going to happen. And, you know, we have a very good relationship, but it's true. I mean, and I, re- I would come home in the evening and walk the dog. That was the one outlet um, I had. You have um, talked extensively with, um, a, a professional. Um, I went to EAP a couple times, um, and she said, "Well, make sure you're taking time for yourself," which is kind of a joke. But <laughs> <laughs> you know, I would walk my dog um, and and cry. That's the only time I would really cry. I, um, you know, everybody's like, "You are rock solid, Georgian." Well, it's because I went into nurse mode. I don't really think of um, how how do you put it. I, it, it, when I started thinking about this podcast, I, it was all nursing stuff. And um, it, it, uh, it's way different to be a nurse who has to take care of critically ill and terminally ill patients um, than to be a family member. And it's easier to go into that mode because I've done it for a long time. Um, so to, to think of those things personally, one of my coping mechanisms is um, avoidance and um, to just not think about it. The girls laugh about that all the time. They say, well, I don't, you know, I don't have anxiety because I just stuff it. I just, <laughs> I just you know, I don't think about it. Um, and so that was one of the hard things about this podcast is right. I had to really think about when you were really, really sick. And how much our lives would have changed. Um, and, and so we were talking about visitors. I'm just going to throw this in. Yeah, we we definitely, I think, uh, Georgiana and the girls, and we'll ask the girls when they come on too, but they were not wild, especially about the unexpected visitors, the people that just popped in the room without like having any, uh, any knowledge that they were going to come. I felt energized. So, I mean, I do think that there's, you know, there, there's two sides to that, but I think it worked out okay, except for there was a couple of times I do know that, that Georgia and the girls were both like furious that people had just stopped in unannounced. And it was well, when we, I was really sick. We weren't that you, you furious, were... but it was just so hard for us. You liked them. It was um, one more thing we had to deal with. Right. And so it wasn't that we were mad that those people came. No, uh, no, I um, agree. Um, it was just that it was, we were dealing with so much and then to have to, and, and doctors would come in anytime and, and, um, and you didn't want to like push people out. And I mean, it's just such a, a complicated thing. Um, the other thing that, um, Oh, I did want to say one little th- thing more about 
what you hated and why I started staying in the hospital. Oh, and yeah. It, it was the bed alarms. And, you know, I have been on falls committees and understand that patients have to have bed alarms on. You hated that bed alarm. And so that's why I ended up staying every night. And, in fact, even when we didn't have seven on seven, the oncology floor at Methodist, we were very lucky to be able to bring in a cot. And so I could sleep on that. But um, then when we went over to University Hospital, they didn't have room. They really didn't want you to have those kind of things. So Abby got us a, a little cot. And I'm sure people rolled their eyes when they saw that. But I would have a cot at night so I could sleep with you so you wouldn't have to have your bed alarm on. And there was a couple nurses that continued to make us have the bed alarm. But you hated that bed alarm. Well, I mean, you, you could, if you dangled your legs off the bed, it took enough of the weight off the bed that the alarm went off. And it's very hard to do some of the functions they wanted you to do without dangling your legs off the bed. So, um, but yes, I mean, and I also admittedly, I, I will say this, and I think I said this in the original podcast uh, piece, I was not really um, cognizant, and I know that now. I don't know at the time that I was really aware. I mean, I knew that, that there were times I had to say, I'm not taking this in when a doctor was talking or whatever. Um, and I'd let them hear it and then come back and tell me kind of what they said. Yeah, we did that a lot. Um, but other coping mechanisms, I'm get, I guess, with the, with the girls, we would laugh at you, <laughs> essentially, because um, we would have to, um, essentially, we would laugh because you would say things totally off of the wall. <laughs> and if you remember, I, th I think at least the, the thing about the eyelids. The, well, the eyelids, I have two eyelids. You would tell us that all the time and <laughs> and and I can shut them and and then the um the thing about the hand sanitizer and the in the Underwear. I didn't even remember that. <laughs> but um so other coping me mechanisms I used. Um it's very interesting because you couldn't remember your um passwords and different things like that. Uh you own your own business. And so we had to kind of help. You you very luckily had two people that really kind of took up the... Stepped up, yep. um, and, and took over a lot of your business, your personal business, and helped with that. But um, Maggie and I uh, decided to... <laughs> <laughs> to take the real estate exam. So we took, um, uh, we were in a real estate course and that there's some interesting things about that. Hopefully Maggie will tell that story. Um, <laughs> but I did get my real estate um, license now. I, I, I took the course when you were in the hospital and then I studied and finished it. And the other thing you didn't um, really touch on in your other three podcasts was um, our religious faith. So, during the time, um, you know, people say, well, I felt your prayers. I know that I didn't feel that so much during the actual time. I was very, very lucky to have um, a couple ministers, our, our um, pastor at our church. She came whenever I asked her to come. And then you have a very good friend who you didn't identify as our past minister, but our um, past minister was... Um, 
uh, even came from the East Coast, came back. Flew to, back to see me. Yeah, right. to see right. you. And and so the relig- and and that church family um, supported us. Anything we needed, um, they took care of um, and and helped out with. So I really uh, feel that. Um, you kind of go back to how things change, though, too. Um, so you have been out of the hospital for a long time. Um, you're done with chemo, and you talked about that experience and how your friend was there, who happened to be Steve, our our um, former minister. our former minister, and being down at the lake and being able to soak. Well, that same day was the day my mother died. Right. Um, it really bothers. <laughs> the girls that you went ahead and went down there um, on the day that she died. It was hard. It was a hard day. Um, But I also didn't want to take that away from you. Kind of our new normal. I don't think in the, the old day and that ever would have happened that way, but it did. And Steve was here. So um, you did do that. And, and she had was, had been put in hospice. And so, it like I said, it was a tough year for me. So. Twenty twenty three. You want you, you want to try that one again? Yeah, exactly. And and I also like to say, in retrospect, when I think about taking you out to the garden when you uh, at Methodist after you had had your first chemotherapy and essentially your gallbladder had backed up and you were um, uh, in liver failure, taking you out an orange pumpkin. And um, how sick you were, how bad you looked, how you couldn't walk two steps, um, and how you are today. It was, it's, I mean, it is a miracle. It's, it's a scientific medical miracle as well, but I do not believe that it could have happened if there's not a God. That's just my personal belief. And well, and, and I, I concur with that. And, and I think at some future podcast, we might have to delve further into the, that whole thing. Um, it's, uh, I mean, the amount of support that we had from our church family and our circle of friends. We have a camping group. We have church friends. We have um, George Ann's high school friends who were absolutely phenomenal during this whole experience, her high school friends, without them, yeah. um, our house would have been filthy. And what, yeah, one of my we, friends would come in and clean the house. She, one day we were looking at our ring camera, she had come over and she um, shoveled the walk. She would do things without <laughs> without us even knowing um, and uh, did laundry. Brought us food. They yeah, did all kinds um, of things, yeah. even, even in the hospital, let alone after we got home. Yeah, yeah, so... We are really blessed people. Um, it, 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 it really, I'm going to be looking at how we go forward, though, because this is, you know, you are very, very optimistic, even though you are very realistic. I like to just kind of think about it didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well... I'm, I, I wish that was true, too, but I think it did, and, and part of what we're trying to do today is let people share our experience so that they know whatever experience they're happening to them, uh, while it might not be the same, is an equally um, good experience and that things happen and relationships change and 
um, your your how you feel about life changes. And and I know for me particularly, um, I have a different out, completely different outlook on life. And um, as Georgian said, I mean the other thing we need to talk about at some point is I I did see a professional. I have a professional coach that I still see, um, not a a. Um, psychologist or psychiatrist per se, but some she, she's a trained oncologist, and so she's dealt with cancer patients, and that's helped me tremendously. And um, anyway, so anything I, else you want to? I guess the last thing I just want to touch upon is um, the changes in intimacy when people are critically ill. And, that, um, and that's part of me as being a nurse who worked with stroke patients. But um, intimacy changes a lot when people are really sick and we're talking six months very very different and so I think um, you just want to you know when when you've helped somebody when you've been a caregiver of a patient in every aspect of their life it really changes and it's probably something we'll um, investigate further too but this wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. <laughs> and thanks for having me, Dan. Well, thanks for being here. And um, and again, I want to thank Kevin, who's our producer and engineer and uh, does everything beer. for this beer drinker for this podcast. But um, without with that said, thanks for listening. And, uh,